good afternoon, good evening. I'm Af Malhotra, your host at Straight Talk. And today, as you can see, you see um, a slightly less pleasant version of my avatar, <laughs> 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 where, where I'm actually in a virtual uh, reality setting at PwC with uh, my good friend, Jeremy Dalton, who is now the, hey Jeremy, who is now the head of Metaverse at PwC. And so I'm super excited about the conversation today. It's less comfortable for me right now because this is the first time I'm doing an interview in VR. Jeremy does this all the time. And I think in, in half an hour or so, I'll feel supernatural. So um, Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thank you for giving us your time again. Thanks and, so much, yeah. um, Pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's always amazing to spend time with you, to chat with you, to have dinners with you, and to to learn about this incredible world of AR, VR, and the metaverse, which is your new gig. So before I start, I just want to give the audience a, a quick recap. So Jeremy came on our show when he launched his book, Reality Check. This is many, many months back. And since then, a lot's happened in his world and in the world of the metaverse. First, the, uh, the old organization Facebook decided to relabel itself as Meta and went all out to describe the future of its business um, by referring to its new incarnation, which is incarnation that relates to the Metaverse, where a whole new set of technologies from AR, VR to blockchain to NFT to cryptocurrency will uh, you know, make up this alternative reality that we, I believe, are going to be existing in and feel very natural. Uh, in so we're going to talk a lot about the metaverse. We'll talk a lot about Jeremy and his role at PwC. I'm also going to Jeremy, if that's okay, be as slightly provocative to talk Absolutely. about the good things, but also the the not so good things related to the metaverse that I know a lot of our listeners feel very concerned about. Because let's be honest, right now, as natural as it may be for you it's quite an unnatural setting uh, and we're trying to make it natural as i look around with my headset and i've got a vr headset I, I feel comfortable as i look around and the more time i spend here the more relaxed i feel um how we manage to do this in the future and how we manage to build relationships and so on uh, remains to be seen but we're going to cover all of that today so jeremy Let's start with what you're doing today at PwC. What is your role? I know you've got a, a new job role, a new job title, which sounds super funky and cool. So tell us about your new role and tell us about what you've been up to over the last um, six, eight, nine months since we last met. Sure, sure. So it is a long story, but in a nutshell, we used to be called the VRAR team. And we then shortened it to XR because VRAR is a bit clunky. It's a mm. pain to write out. Um, but then we found other challenges in that XR is not a recognized term outside the yeah. industry much. And also Extinction Rebellion are quite keen to take <laughs> hold of it as well. <laughs> so at about the same time that we were, we were battling with those challenges, the metaverse obviously became a, a very important or significant um, discussion and topical area in the world. And it was... It was, it was something that we wanted to take advantage of for two main reasons. First of all, absolutely jumping on board, the, on board the bandwagon of the metaverse and everyone's excitement around it. But secondly, from a strategic perspective, it actually makes a lot of sense that we adopt that as, as our name because we don't only deal with headset-based software and applications. 
-hmm. So what most people would consider virtual reality involves a headset. But we also deal with virtual worlds that run on desktop machines too. So the term metaverse helps us to encompass all of those different aspects. So hence why we are now no longer the XR team, but we are the metaverse technologies team taking a much wider remit in the space of virtual worlds for business, which is a very exciting area. And it's something that we're, uh, we've been pushing for the last, I'd say, six to nine months now. Yeah, so probably since we last spoke, actually, it's mm. been a, an area of conversation. And um, we're starting to help organizations think about all of these different areas. So we talked yeah. about blockchain technology. When we talk about metaverse technologies, we're talking about virtual reality, augmented reality, virtual worlds in general, and 3D gaming technologies, plus um, blockchain, of course. Yeah. And all of that together makes up the metaverse. So we're helping organizations work through this. We're running workshops with them. We're writing reports. And uh, we've got a lot of exciting stuff going on. We've got a project with the NHS right now, actually, mm -hmm. um, where we're going to help them identify areas of application within healthcare for this type of technology mm. and um, hopefully help them a, adopt the technology even more within the National Health Service, which is going to be fantastic. Terrific. Wow. So you have a plethora of things that you are engaged in and doing. And I have to say, you know, to do a gig like this, to be focused every day, you wake up in the morning, you come into the office or you do it virtually or you do it on a, on a VR headset um, and covering such cool technologies is so stimulating, right? It's one of the best jobs to have in whatever, in when whatever incarnation. <laughs> it is, it's incredibly exciting. But one thing I will say, though, is that most of my time is still spent doing what pretty much everyone else does, which is Excel sheets. <laughs> PowerPoint slides, stakeholder management, and my email inbox. I'd say that is where I spend 90% of my time. But the 10% that gets talked about, all of this stuff where I'm actually yeah. in a headset, uh, I think that gives the impression to people that I spend, you know, eight hours a day inside virtual reality, <laughs> which uh, going, you know, we'll, we'll get to the, the bad parts, but I would not want to spend eight hours a day in virtual reality right now. <laughs> Let yeah, me put it that right. way, Just, despite being a proponent of the technology. Yeah, too right. No, that's thank you for the clarification because I'm sure a lot of people did think that, and uh, it's lovely to to know that you also suffer from the same <laughs> the same pain. Misery loves company, right? Absolutely, that's a beautiful way of putting it. So let's let's move on now. I think the first very important question for you, really, that we should discuss and talk about is uh, the the journey that you've been on, you know, you wrote your book, you've been studying the AR VR domain for a number of years, and it's a fascinating technology that's slowly but surely building momentum. And now you've got this new uh, reality of the metaverse. And to some extent, I don't know if this is how you feel about it. I feel the first phase of metaverse is already happening with the advent of social media and mobile devices that are supercomputers. And if you look around on a, on the tube or the train, or you look at a young uh, nephew or niece or son or daughter, heck, you don't even have to be young anymore, any, any of us, we're addicted to our devices, whether it's the TikTok or it's the Instagram or the Facebook, and in fact, in China, the WeChat. I mean, they truly have an all-encompassing microverse of some sort. It may not be as advanced as, as Facebook may descri describe it or Meta may describe it right now in terms of the future of what metaverse may look like. So we, we're sort of living in that world in a, in a weird sort of way. 
Um, my question to you is going to be first and foremost, more about the enterprise and the corporation, because you talked about the NHS, which is which I'd like to talk about more. Less about the consumer side, because I think a lot of us who are well-read, and as you know, the listeners on Straight Talk are pretty well-informed. They're mavericks. We call them the mavericks. They they love this stuff. They watch all of our episodes, and they study the markets in a lot of detail. So I'm going to leave the basic stuff out. I'm going to focus on the more um, challenging problems at hand. And the first one is related to your view on uh, use cases and implementation of uh, the metaverse or aspects of it uh, in the enterprise, because you know, the enterprise is not known for its dynamic, disruptive, adoptive skills and adaptive <laughs> skills. They're slow. There's inertia. They're like tankers, and we saw that with digital transformation. And of course, if it wasn't for the pandemic, they wouldn't have switched gear to yep. such an extent. Absolutely. We all know that, and of course. So t tell us what's going on. Maybe with some examples sure. um, in the enterprise world. I mean, are they really going to do anything about this metaverse stuff? And is it relevant to them? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I want to talk about just before I get onto that is something you mentioned, you know, that we're <clears> all we're living in a metaverse of sorts already. And I 100 percent agree with you. And you can take that argument back even further. You can go to the 1970s. And I don't know if any of our listeners or you know about this, but there was there, were, there was a game back then or a series of games that were referred to as multi-user dungeons. Right. And these were literally text-based adventure games mm. where you would get given in, in something like a, um, a, a Microsoft DOS sort of style console window with, you know, black background and the gray text. And that's all you had. And you had to type commands, a command line interface. And it would tell you you're currently in a forest. Uh, the sun is shining brightly, creating rays of light through the leaves. And uh, to your north, you see a, some movement in the distance. And then it mm. would be up to you to decide what to do next. So you would type, go north, and then it oh, would yes, continue yes. the story or pick up key, put key yeah. in lock, you know, and all this sort of stuff. Now, those mm. games were not only single-player games, but you could meet other adventurers in those text-based worlds and chat to them and collaborate with them and go on adventures with them. And in a way, that was a very much an early form of the metaverse because mm -hmm. it was a virtual world, albeit a text-based one, but a virtual world nonetheless, in which you were collaborating and having fun and socializing with others. So this whole concept actually goes back a very, very long way. It's just that now we've had advancements in 3D technologies. We've had advancements in computing power. We've had advancements in virtual reality and augmented reality which are not necessary for the metaverse, but are incredibly important components to create a richer metaverse because that is virtual reality, for example, is the way in which you will most immersively be able to access these metaverse environments. So that's a little bit about the history of the metaverse. And yeah, 100% we're now in the best position possible to make this work. As for enterprise usage of this type of technology, if we're very strictly defining the metaverse as a virtual world in which we'll have a lot of people um, that, can, that can talk to each other and explore and, and collaborate, then the metaverse is useful for businesses across all industries from a remote collaboration perspective. So if we want to make people, bring people closer together in a way that connects them more deeply and collaboratively mm -hmm. than is possible using video conferencing, then metaverse, the metaverse as a concept is a really powerful play to be able to do that. As an offshoot of that, 
you know, in PwC, we use we don't only use metaverse spaces for that, um, but we also use it in student recruitment. So right. we actually have a metaverse space in which we've already seen over 20,000 students come in and we've been able to engage with them using that world. And the advantage of that over real life is it's far more scalable because we have to actually physically go to universities to engage with these students. But now we can do so in a really powerful way remotely and we can reach the whole of the UK as opposed to us being limited by the number of universities we can physically have a presence at in a certain period of time. Yeah. So those two areas, I think, are really interesting. No doubt there will be further explorations about what can be done in this space. And maybe we'll start to see some more operational type uses of the tech. So mm -hmm. not just virtual, virtual reality and metaverse environments for uh, specific events, which is what we're seeing right now, but uh, using these spaces as a day-to-day -day tool for collaboration in which it is normal just to log in at the beginning of the day and log off at the end of it. Yeah, gotcha. So they seem to be a whole bunch of interesting use cases. I guess, like with everything, you have this low-hanging fruit concept, right, where there's certain things you can achieve that are realistic and your ability to execute is higher. And there's stuff that you end up doing later on down the line as the technology matures, as the infrastructure matures, and so on and so forth. Exactly. So uh, so that's great. So let's go back to a couple of these examples, which which I think are salient. So when you talked about the interaction with students recently, and I, th I get that, you know, graduate recruitment, bringing in students nationally and internationally, given the pandemic that uh, we've all sort of suffered with, it could be difficult for people to get over to you. Of course, there's the other issue of being green, you know, uh, many of the younger generation don't see the need to jump on a plane or a train and add the carbon footprint and actually yeah. say, well, if you're just going to have a conversation with me about you know, my personality and my drivers and my values and vice versa, surely we could do that in a virtual environment, which would be yeah, more cost effective. And many, many students find it more comfortable to be engaging in a virtual environment than this than they would do in person or on video conferencing. Now, that itself has some potentially negative ramifications, sure. sure. And we should address those in, in the right way. But I think it is an advantage that we start to think about what makes people most comfortable day to day. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I hear that point. And I think that's super important because, you know, it's this generational shift and the signposts that we get from the generational, um, uh, you know, citizens, other the new citizens of the new generations that are being um, created uh, from the point of view of the way they think, the way they behave, what they feel comfortable with or less comfortable with. I think as employers, one has to be really sensing and responding very, very um, seriously, as opposed to, you know, some of the um, the more uh, sort of superficial ways that we've been doing this in the past, at least in the time that I was a graduate in my first job ever. So let's go back to um, a couple of limitations and hurdles here. So today I'm, I'm here, we're at the PwC building for everyone's benefit. Jeremy is in another room. So we're not in the same room. He's in another room. He could have, you know, we could have done it virtually, but he's in another room. The infrastructure set up, I'm in um, the room adjacent, and we're having this conversation. I have gear on me, so I'm wearing a headset, and I've got these two controllers in my hands, which help me go in and out of rooms, just for, for, for those who have never done this before. And I'm pressing a bunch of buttons, and I'm moving around using my um, avatar, which is certainly not 
how I look, by the way. I look way better than my avatar. <laughs> my wife's going to be like, oh, my God, I have to totally divorce you after this. We so, haven't yet figured out how to translate people's good looks into virtual reality, <laughs> but we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Photoshop usually helps. So, <laughs> uh, so I've got my avatar. And so, Jeremy, my question is, surely this cannot be the most comfortable way for you and I to engage in the future. Tell us a little bit more about how this clunky kit is going to disappear and it's going to become more natural for us sure. to do this. So, yeah, I, I will be honest with you, Raph, and I'll be honest to our, our listeners and our viewers out there. Not everyone is really comfortable wearing a virtual reality headset, especially for a long period of time. Now, that is for a number of reasons. One, the head, we're not used to having something covering our whole, our whole top half of our face and a strap over our head and so on. Uh, some of these headsets are very heavy. Some of them are, the, the weight distribution on them is unnatural. So some yeah. of them are quite front loaded, you know, and so they pull your head down a little bit. Mm. Um, some of them look unfashionable. And I think these are all challenges that we're concerned with uh, that will no doubt be, uh, be either eliminated or vastly uh, resolved over the next few years. We've already seen advancements, incredible advancements over the last, um, let's say six years since the first consumer versions of this high-end technology started to become available to the mass market. Right. Uh, and it will, it will only get better. The other things to bear in mind, of course, is that the form factor itself, the, or let's say the technology itself disconnecting us from the real world, that is not something we're used to with most technologies. Sure, mm. you could argue that we are disconnected from reality when we watch TV, when we're engrossed on our mobile phone, even when we're reading the newspaper, perhaps. But the point being is we've never had our visual sense and our audible sense uh, completely taken over by technology, which is effectively what virtual reality does. And it does that because that is the strength of the technology. It is designed to be the most immersive technology and most immersive interface into the digital world or the metaverse that you've yeah. ever experienced. So with that come pros and cons. But um, yeah, in terms of your point, it's, it's, there are certainly places for improvement and we'll see that improvement into the, in the next few years, but it is viable right now and we use it right now every week to run meetings, to run client events, to run collaboration sessions and workshops so it's a very exciting time, and there's only more excitement ahead. Mm. Quick, quick question on the uh, alternatives to AR, VR right yes. now, or, or VR. So right now we use MS Teams, Zoom, various yep. other platforms, and we have that square box or rectangular box come up, and I can see your face, I can see your reactions. You can scratch your face, you can scratch your head, I can see you looking up, down, left, right, center, and so on. And whilst it's not 3D, it's flat. It's a flat image. It's you, right? It's you. And the only form of augmentation is your blurred background or your fake sort of, yeah. you know, your, your uh, virtual background. But uh, besides from that, I feel like I'm still talking to you um, and I'm connected to you and it's authentic. Right now we see an avatar form. And of course, that's going to get better and better over time. But it's not really you and it's not really me in the physical sense, right? Um, now, I know you can argue that you could have a fantasy me and I could be 
Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise or whoever I want to be and I could make myself look super perfect and get rid of all of the things that I hate about myself and I want to be the slim version not the fat version or the skinny version <laughs> or whatever it may be yeah um and that's fine but do you think it's compelling enough right now in its current state for the switch to really happen or do you think it needs more time for real adoption to take so place I don't think there should ever be a switch, personally. I think there will always be a place for video conferencing, and there will always now be a place for virtual reality collaboration. It's just about identifying when it is best to use each technology for what purpose. So if we're merely having, let's say, a, we're listening to a presentation, and it's a one-sided presentation, so somebody has got slides on a screen, there's nothing three-dimensional about their presentation, and they're just trying to convey information to an audience. Mm -hmm. There's no real reason to do that in virtual reality. You don't need to do it in VR. So video conferencing is absolutely fine for that. However, let's consider another scenario where we want to, where we want to engage with teams from different parts of your business and different parts of the world. We need them all to come together and we need them to be focused on trying to whiteboard and workshop through a very mm. difficult problem. And perhaps they need to do this in different groups. So perhaps one group needs to go over to that part of the room. Uh, the other group needs to go over to, to that part of the room. They need to discuss in their groups, whiteboard <clears throat> some solutions, and then come together again here in the center as yeah. a whole group to then summarize and hash out and figure out next steps. Like that type of deep collaboration workshopping um, experience, I think, would be better served in virtual reality. That's not to say you couldn't do it in video conferencing with breakout rooms in Zoom and so on. But this idea that we are sharing the same space, even though right. it's a virtual one and not a physical one, that leads to greater collaboration, that leads to greater <coughs> connectivity um, and, and ultimately results in, in a better experience and, and more thinking when it comes to trying to resolve some of these problems. Do you think a question for you on the nuance of um, the communication, interpersonal communication uh, in a virtual world versus a flat Zoom world or a MS Teams world or whatever it may be? Yeah. Do you feel, uh, I mean, tell me what the experience is because you've done it uh, a few times now. Do you feel something changes in terms of, uh, do you become more authentic, less authentic? Do you become more honest? Do you give more f direct feedback? Do you feel like, okay, if I'm here with you, I can see you. I mean, I can't, I don't know if I can embrace you, but if I could embrace you, <laughs> I'd say, hey, we hey, buddy, we can give it a go. And then I'd be like, hey, let's sit down, let's have a chat. And I sit down and yeah. we're looking at the same direction. I say, just look, let's look out of the window together and let's just chat, you know, like you would in a, in a physical environment. Do you feel that, 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 because you called it that sort of 3D environment, that space, same yeah. space, right? Do you feel being in the same space allows one to be more human, more uh, connected to the physical self where you say things and you do things that I may not on a Zoom call? I, I don't yeah, know, I'm asking in, you the question. In a very yeah. strange sort of way, being together in this virtual world <clears throat> does allow us to feel more connected physically at least in a deeper way than I would say is possible using video conferencing. So mm. when I'm on video conferencing with someone, I actually feel, and, and their video is on and my video is on, I actually feel very disconnected and I don't enjoy video conferencing. I don't like it. But um, that's, that's maybe my personal opinion. I'm sure others share it as well. And yeah. I would imagine you ask, you know, 100 people and we'll get differing opinions. 
But personally, what I've seen and felt is that being in these virtual environments, no matter how we're represented, by the way, we could be represented by a robot, a gorilla, our photorealistic selves. It doesn't really matter because the point is we have chosen that representation. and That's how we wish to be communicated right. in this world. And people respect that very quickly and acknowledge that. The virtual space around us is something that an environment that we're sharing together. So right. we are having the same experience right now, even though we're not together physically. And I don't think you can say that you're having the same experience when you're on a video conferencing call because you're in your living room, I'm in my kitchen, whatever it is, we're in different spaces. Whereas now we are focused fully in this shared three-dimensional virtual environment. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. I hear that. I'm starting to feel it, I have to say, as I'm with you. I'm starting to feel more natural in the way I would communicate. And actually, you know, whilst I can't see all of you, I can see the top half of you, I do feel like if there was more functionality here and there could be um, a complete vision of you, I feel like I could say, let's just have a, have a seat. Maybe we'll grab a coffee yeah. um, and maybe I'll pick up my physical coffee. But actually, it feels like I'm having the coffee in a virtual form with you as well. So I, I can see the, the, the merits of that. So, so that's great. Um, let's move on to another dimension for a moment, which is related to uh, some of the, the darker you know aspects or the side of the metaverse and there's so many of course and if we think about the metaverse the way some of the tech um, leaders out there describe it in terms of their vision or um, utopian or dystopian um, you know depending on who you ask views of the world of the future world then as a parent I worry right um, and I worry because I do value human-to-human -human connection. I do value the fact that I jumped on the train today with uh, my creative designer. We chatted. He, he traveled in from Manchester. We had some food at Leon. We shared a cup of coffee. We talked about stuff. He moved his hands around. He showed me his emotion. I liked it. We embraced. We walked into the PwC building, and we saw you physically. There's something very special about that, and that is our consciousness. That's what makes us human. If I'm going to end up spending a lot of my time in this in this virtual world, which is the metaverse, which is way more um, addictive than the mobile device, because, of course, it's going to be designed by these technocrats with all the um, psychological studies possible. So my entire limbic system will be engaged way more than TikTok and Instagram right now. And why would I want to leave it? If I have a sense of satisfaction, I can buy a house and feel great. I can meet a lover or a, a, a partner and I can feel great about it. I can have a meet, a meeting with a work colleague, et cetera, et cetera. Why would I want to leave the space? Now, what worries a lot of people, um, and again, as a parent is, is this what my daughter, she's three, is this what my daughter or my son, who's one, are going to be engaged in? Like I am, I, I'm no doubt, you know, an addict when it comes to my mobile phone. But is this going to be the next generation where you've got this headset or whatever device, which might not look as clunky as this one? And that's all they do. And if they do that over a period of time, will they start to lose um, connection with the consciousness? Is your consciousness going to be hijacked by this mass dopamine hit and, you know, toying with our neurotransmitters in this world? It, doesn't that worry you? Whilst I know this is your gig, um, doesn't that worry you as a human being for a moment? Absolutely. It is, it is a major concern. 
The one thing I would say to that, though, is <clears throat> I don't blame the technology itself for for that. But I blame if that were to happen in a significant way that damaged humanity, I would consider that a human failing because we are aware of this. We certainly need to talk about it more. and We need to talk more about the the disadvantages current and potential of this technology and every other one. But the result of talking about it needs to be some sort of action. So yeah. some sort of um, ability to recognize and safeguard against that happening. And there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with a little bit of escapism. But the key point there is it's got to be a little bit, right? Everything mm -hmm. in moderation. You know, we all enjoy going to the cinema and being completely immersed in a, in a different world temporarily, you know, yeah. for two hours at a time. But uh, of course, it wouldn't be very healthy if we spent eight hours a day in the cinema. And I think the same concept applies for technologies like virtual reality, where they can be incredibly powerful tools for escapism. But we have to recognize that escapism for a large amount of time is not a healthy thing. And therefore, right. we need to put controls in place how those controls are enforced, whether they're left to parents or government regulated is another concept, but we definitely need to be thinking about those sorts of safeguards, absolutely. Yeah, I guess the responsibility in terms of governing this and ensuring that this doesn't get out of hand, yes, is on the part of some of those subgroups that you talked about, the government being one of them, but of course it's also down to the corporations and the enterprises who are the largest employers of people like you and I, for example, and uh, they have a responsibility to inform and educate their people and their staff to say, hey, listen, do this, and it's fantastic, and we propagate it, uh, but there is a fine line between that and being addicted or being totally consumed by this. So, you know, you end up burning bridges in your physical life. You have no real relationships. In fact, you might feel hollow when you come out of your uh, alternative reality and realize that actually my real world, my physical world is not worth being in. And so that has its huge, it has huge uh, yeah, ramifications. We should, we should maintain balance between all the worlds. The virtual world itself can be incredibly useful, but obviously the real world is, is not something that we can neglect in it by any means. So I think yeah. that concept of balance between the worlds is something that we'll, we'll need to teach and, and adopt as a, as a species, as this technology progresses. And are you, are, you, are you talking about this in your workshops with your clients? Are you going out of your way to say, hey, listen, this is fantastic, you should do it, and at the same time, be cautious because what we don't want is a uh, you know 65,000 people on headsets absolutely consumed with the virtual world because of course they're not going to be satisfied with just you and I having a meeting there'll be other functionality in the metaverse through the VR device uh, where I might just decide to go and you know purchase something or I see the Nike brand coming up behind you and I decide to buy the nearest trainers so uh, I'm just trying to work out who's going to sort of stand up and if required, protest and put a stake in the ground and say, hey, not on my watch. Uh, because all I think those, that's what worries a lot of people. So all of those stakeholders that we are starting to talk about, I think they all have a responsibility to play. So I mentioned parents <clears throat> and government. You mentioned yeah. companies and industry. I think there's also manufacturers of this technology as well. Mm. And um, they, they have research divisions that can look at um, you know, big questions like how it's affecting humanity in a, in a myriad of different ways. Yeah. And I think it's from that research that we can better understand human behaviors and interactions with this tech and use the answers to that 
and the research that comes from such exercises to better inform policy and responsibility around safeguarding. Right. Got it. Now, let's talk about nations. Um, who is leading the charge on the metaverse? And let's talk about AR, VR as well. Wh which nation, which ecosystem technologically do you believe is, you know, wow, really, really accelerating and which is uh, lagging? So the the key markets that are that are really excited, uh, where there's a lot of investment <clears throat> and uh, there's a lot of adoption as well. We've got East Asia with China, Japan, and South Korea being right. leading nations, and we've got the United States on the on the Western front. And I'd say those are the two biggest players in the world right now when mm. it comes to metaverse technologies. Um, outside of that, you've got pockets in different areas, the UK being one of them, definitely, where we're seeing a lot of talent in this space from the video gaming sector. The, yeah. uh, the UK is a massive video games market, especially for its size. And uh, for those who don't <clears> know, <throat> the metaverse is effectively built on video game technology, as yeah. is virtual reality and augmented reality. So the UK plays a, a very important role in that. Um, and then you've got a few other nations here and there. Germany uh, has a lot of potential. Finland mm. as well. Their government is actually very bullish on virtual reality and has supported uh, virtual reality startups, one of them being Vario, which produce a very high-end virtual reality display or he headset that is used by NASA astronauts for training purposes. <clears throat> right. So you, you've got pockets like that all around the world. Got it. Okay, so... East, the East is, is ramping up China being one of the pioneers. And then on the West, we have the United States. Um, another question around demographics. Are you seeing any particular movement or trends related to adoption as is today, as opposed to forecasting the future? Um, do younger people adopt this at a faster rate? Is it just, is it a shift? Is it the, the, the game gamers who are converting to the metaverse much faster because they're the early adopters? Who, who do you think is going to first so um, I, enter this world? From the data I've seen, the millennials are the generation that is most excited about the metaverse. Uh, so they're not the youngest, but um, they are the most excited. Next up, in very close second, does come Gen <clears> Z, <throat> so the youngest generation. And uh, they are equally excited. They are, they are very excited, but not as excited as millennials by this tech. And, um, and then it tends to go by generation further down. So we've got Gen X coming up and then boomers um, and so on. The, um, what I would say, though, that e even when you get to baby boomer level, the majority of that demographic are excited by the metaverse. So right. I think there is an unfair stereotype of, mm. of boomers that are that are sort of Luddites and against all technology and are just there to stop everything from progressing. But, you know, if you look at the data, that's not true. They are, they are excited, certainly maybe not as excited as millennials are, but the majority of baby boomers are still quite interested to find out more about the metaverse, which is exciting mm. to see. Mm. Do you think the timeframes that uh, Zuckerberg and um, others have laid out in terms of the adoption, the creation of a metaverse, the adoption of the different subcomponents of the metaverse, buying things, selling things, houses, cars, uh, brands, and so on, concerts. Do you think that is realistic? Is the, is the five, 10-year horizon realistic, given where we are today? No, there's no doubt we've made a lot of progress, but you know, 
Um, as you know, I've been tracking ARVR since 2016, and it's taken a long time for us to get to this point. And um, I just want to work out how bullish you really are um, outside of outside of the commercial interests of the job sure, that you sure. do. You know. So yeah, we talk about since 2016, which is when the first VRAR headsets came out to consumers in non-development versions. It's not actually been that much of a long time if you think about it in the grand history of technological developments. So it's been six years now, you know, we're in 2022. And if you look at other technologies, uh, like the like the smartphone, for example, mm. the smartphone arguably been going since 2007. So what have we had? We've had 15 years of the smartphone so far. Right. And if you look even further back, you know, you've got um, developments like, uh, let's go really far back. Let's go to the time of the telephone. The mm -hmm. telephone itself took 29 years to reach mainstream adoption from the time it was first made available to consumers, um, you know, to buy. And that is an incredibly long time. Now, obviously, this was a very long time ago. But looking at the past hundred years of technological advancements, things don't happen in a few years' time. And so I feel like we're certainly very impatient as a society to see VRAR and other technologies progress. But then, of course, once we're over the hump of mainstream adoption, we look back and we think it happened overnight, yeah. <laughs> which is quite yeah. funny, actually. It's a bit of a, a complete contradiction in a way. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you. So. As we come to the end of this conversation, it's been a fantastic, enlightening conversation always. Uh, tell us a little bit about PwC and its uh, aspirations. I guess you have a role, you have a team, there's a reason for it. And where are you taking this? What's the, what's the plan here? What's the ambition or the objective here? Sure. So if you think about PwC's purpose, it's to build trust in society and solve important problems. So we deal with a lot of businesses across many different industries. And, and help them to, to ultimately uh, solve issues that they're, that they're facing. Now, we've got teams that deal with all those issues from cybersecurity mm -hmm. to audit mm -hmm. to tax planning um, to valuations, transaction services, business recovery. You know, the list goes on and on. Yeah. Virtual reality, augmented reality, and metaverse technologies in general are becoming an in increasingly important component of that mission because at the end of the day the more that we spend time in worlds like these when we start to transact in them when we start to spend more of our day in them it it all starts to impact on businesses themselves when mm -hmm. they have to start thinking about implementing the tech when they have to start thinking about how they manage the tax implications of buying and selling an NFT on their platform, for example. Mm, mm. You know, how do, we, how do we audit NFTs? How do we provide legal advice on these transactions? Um, you know, what are the legal ramifications of employees working eight hours a day in a metaverse? I think yeah. there are so many questions that open up around this new interface into the digital world, and that is why PwC is interested in engaging with it and why we have a dedicated team that is focused on the metaverse. Okay. And uh, blank sheet of paper question, you know, the Harry Potter wand uh, scenario. Given what you know now and what you know today, in the context of the metaverse, if you had an opportunity to, to be um, a tech leader in any of these large companies or a new one that you've just sort of imagined in your alternative reality, 
what would you do with what you know now? What would, would you build something different? Would you build something new? What would be your mission and your purpose? So if I had, if I could do anything I wanted, I think there would be, would be two strands. So I'd, I'd temper myself in the sense that I'd want to push the boundaries of what's possible. And, and where we're going with this ultimately yeah. is brain-computer interfaces. Now, this is a very, very long-term thinking, okay? So this is, this is not even in a 10-year or 20-year horizon. Mm. But if I could get there, I would love to be able to switch on virtual reality and augmented reality and enter a metaverse environment just by thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And that, as a concept, I would imagine at some point in the future would become more than a, a science fiction episode of a TV series. So mm-hmm. I would love to be working towards that. The, uh, the other element of that, of course, is that there are lots of safeguarding issues that, you'd have, that have to be uh, managed if, for something like that to become useful in society and to become um, adopted in a responsible way. So as part of that organization or mission, um, I would also be interested in, in having a side of that business that does focus on those elements, brings out the issues, talks with all the stakeholders involved, and ultimately mm. allows this technology to progress in a, in a responsible way where mm. we all can have a say in its future. Mm, brilliant. Beautiful. So brain interfaces reminds me of Elon's work on Neuralink, <laughs> yes. which... Uh, he, uh, I was watching his interview just the other day where he says that for the next 10 years, Neuralink is all about trying to address the problem of brain injuries and spinal injuries. And he said, and do not expect that it, you know, you're going to walk around and buy one from the high street from your local yeah. Tesla shop and plug it in and you're, you know, you're yeah. a genius. I guess that's only for him. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I've had a wonderful conversation with you. It's always such a pleasure. And listen, you know, you're on an incredible journey with the metaverse. We know this is a fascinating domain. We know it can have huge positive impacts on society. It can also have huge ramifications and it's got some perils that we need to be conscious of and take seriously. And like always with Straight Talk, the whole purpose here and the objective uh, from a not-for-profit standpoint is always to provide an independent and objective view uh, talking about things that people aren't talking about, addressing issues that people don't want to address in a society where free speech has sort of vanished, as we discussed on our WhatsApp group recently. So with that in mind, uh, what a terrific uh, moment this is. And I'll remember my first ever VR ST interview with you. Maybe I'll do many more such interviews in the future, I perhaps so. in 2023. And we need your help. We need your support. And maybe we'll do some stuff together in the future. So once again, thank you for this. I'll be back when you have your next job role. And, um, That'd be fantastic. <laughs> who knows what you're going to call yourself then. But uh, <laughs> no I'll doubt try you and, I'll be. try and big up the title even further. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So it's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, and thank you to your team uh, for making this happen and allowing me to, uh, to do this. And I will yes. send you a better picture of myself for the next avatar. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> thank you, Charlie and Randa. Behind thank you, Charlie the and Randa. Yeah, thank you. And Straight Talk, um, thank you, Straight Talk Mavericks community. I really hope you enjoyed this show. Please share it through your different social media channels. Ask questions if you want to get hold of me or Jeremy and want to try and learn more about what PWC is doing, because I'm pretty impressed with what's going on here, then please do so directly with Jeremy on LinkedIn and or uh, through the Straight Talk team. So, Be well, take care, good afternoon, good night. Thank you, Jeremy. 
See you, everyone. Bye-bye. See you.